Hey, thank you for joining us today. This is Rebecca Tapia, your podcast host. If you're finding any value of this podcast, please do share it and leave a review. And also, nothing discussed here is formal medical, legal, or financial advice. And this is not a patient-doctor relationship. It is really just a couple of people sitting around, or maybe just myself, discussing difficult topics related to aging parents. Enjoy. Thank you so much for being here. Welcome, everyone, to another podcast episode of Real Conversations About Aging Parents. I have a longtime friend here with me named Karen. Karen, thanks for being here. Hey, sure. Glad to be here. So we've known each other long enough, and I've kind of heard your journey with both your mom and your dad, right? And a lot of things have transpired in the last three years, and I just wanted to get an opportunity to sit down and speak with you about what your journey was like now that you might have had some time to reflect and look back, if there's any lessons learned you can share with anybody. But before we dive into that, can you tell people just a little bit about yourself, like where you're from, what kind of things do you enjoy doing? Okay. Um, I am originally from Southern California. Um, we escaped there and now are residents of San Antonio, Texas. Uh, we love it here and, and couldn't pay us enough to go back. Sorry. <laughs> um, but we still have, you know, family and friends there. So we do visit frequently. Um, when I was a teacher in California, when we moved to Texas, I mean, we moved for a job that my husband was offered that he couldn't refuse. Um, I didn't really want to go back to the classroom and I was having some health issues. So um, I decided to try private tutoring. And uh, now that's what I do. I'm like a mobile teacher. I come to people's homes and work with their kids and I love it. Um, I specialize in kids with special needs, um, you know, ADHD, dyslexia, um, autism spectrum, et cetera. And, um, you know, it's really rewarding to be able to make a difference in kids' lives. There's nothing like one-on-one instruction. Um, and I was had a lot of work during the pandemic. I even had a private classroom I set up. Um, but things have settled down now. And then love what I do. What I do in my spare time is I am also a court-appointed special advocate for abused and neglected kids through CASA. Um, so we are volunteers. Um, we spend time with kids who are in the system. We commit to a certain case, um, throughout its duration. Typically the time period is a year and our goal is to achieve permanency for the kids, whether that's reunification with their parents, if the parents have satisfied the requirements they need to, or if it's finding other placement for them. So I'm just finishing up a case that happened to take four years. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. I had no idea those engagements were that long. Uh, not typically. Okay. So so take me back um, to when you guys moved to Texas. What year would that have been? Uh, would have been end of 2014, beginning of 2015. Okay. So almost, almost 10 years ago. So nine, nine years ago. Um, when did you first think that your parents were needing some extra support? When did you go from not thinking about it at all to, wait a minute, like mom or dad might need some extra intervention? What did that look like? Well, my mom, unfortunately, kind of had a history of various health issues. She was uh, a psychiatrist. Uh, she was a very in, uh, intelligent and strong-willed woman. Um, which served her well. 
She was the only woman in her class at UCLA School of Medicine. And it went through some hazing there involving corpses and things like that. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. Um, but she, I can't imagine that happening. This would have been back in the 60s or? Probably before that. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Maybe early 60s. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was a different time and place, thankfully. But, um, yeah, and then she had a very successful practice. She served on the board of UCLA Medicine and several other organizations. You know, she was... Someone to be admired, you know, I was very proud of her. Um, then she did, she had a back injury, I remember. And I was about six. She had to be on a hospital bed and I brought her cereal to eat sometimes and stuff. So, you know, I kind of became, I had to step up as the oldest child and take care of my younger siblings. Um, the back injury she recovered from, that was minor. And she had always made it a point to focused on us kids. You know, she was a great mom in that regard. She had an office that was like an extension of the house, um, separate and a secretary and everything. And she scheduled her hours so that she could be with us. So we got home from school, et cetera, et cetera. Involved in the PTA, befriended the school secretary and our teachers, things like that. Um, and then at some point, um, they, uh, you know, it's it's still kind of blurry, but she was given lithium for depression, which was the wrong thing to do and caused her uh, issues that included heart issues. And she had a long hospitalization after that. I mean, you would have been about how old when this happened? Wow. My baby sister was two or not quite two. Oh, wow. So she still had little kids yeah. when this happened. Yeah. And then my my middle sister was 17 months older than her, and I'm four years older than her, so I would have been about eight, six. Wow. So she had little, but, but several kids under 10. And three of us yeah, went through sisters. this. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Yeah. So I had to, you know, step up and take care of my younger sisters. When she was recovering from that, back at home after a couple of years, my sister got meningitis at school, my middle sister. And mom was taking care of her. She caught it and ended up turning into encephalitis, a brain fever. Oh, my goodness. And she got brain damage from it. So that was really hard on her, and she had to kind of start over with a lot of things. Um, but she did. And, you know, she couldn't practice anymore at that point, obviously. But she developed a nonprofit ministry doing counseling for others. And she ran that from her home. Um it was about that point or a little, it was after that, that my mom and dad separated doctor's orders because it was stressful for her. Um, but what about, how would you, how old would you have been when she got the encephalitis? I think I was closer to 11-ish. So you went through a lot of medical episodes with your mom yeah. in your childhood. Yeah. Okay. And then your sister was sick too. Did she have any issues after the meningitis? Um. She was okay after that. She ended up having kidney surgery, I remember, when she was in first grade. Oh, okay. So, so she had some other health issues, but your mom really got the brunt of the encephalitis. Yeah, I think her immune system was weakened already, you know, right? the other. So so, so you were young, and then she, uh, your parents separated at that point. So you're still, what, like middle school age? Yeah. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and it was, you know, kind of scary for us. And my dad worked long hours. Then he left early in the morning, didn't come home till nine o'clock at night. So we had a series of 
housekeepers, live-in housekeepers who helped raise us. And that's a whole nother story. Okay. <laughs> he wasn't always the best judge of character. We'll leave it at that. Um, so podcast number two. <laughs> so, so it sounds like you were, I don't know, habituated or, or adjusted to that uh, as a young age. And then as you went into your teen years and adulthood, what did that look like as far as her, her needs? So she was uh, living separately, like I said, um, and our relationship was by phone with her. Um, and, you know, fortunately she was able, still able to verbalize very well. So, you know, we didn't understand what was going on really, just that she couldn't be in the house and, um, but she sounded normal to us on the phone. Oh, so she separated from the kids as well. Yeah. Oh, doctor's orders because the stress was, the doctor said it was going to kill her. Oh, and that's like a sabbatical then. Yeah. From, from the, the family as a whole. So then you ended up staying with your dad and the housekeepers. Yes. I see. Okay. Sorry. Go ahead. So, uh-huh. and this is supposed to be about my mom, not me, but there's a little background needed. So I apologize. Oh, no, I mean, this is always about us, right? <laughs> <laughs> Even when we're talking about our parents and it, it's, it's about our experience of them. So, yeah. yes. so please go on. Okay. So, um. She was able to pretty much take care of herself for the most part for many years. Um, she did have a network of doctors um, and, you know, friends in the neighborhood, the grocery shop for her, et cetera. But uh, part of her condition was she had reduced immunity. So um, there were contact um, precautions that had to be made before without actually seeing her. So a lot of our visits were through a window. Really? Uh, yes. Wow. Yeah. So. So it was tough. It was was like, she living like in a nursing facility or a it, care home or what? It was a small home. Okay. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, but it was a, a good ways away. Um, we found an hour, but in Los Angeles traffic, that ends up being a ways. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. it's more than that. Anyway, so, you know, we didn't have a lot of time with her. So that was tough. But, you know, we still talked on the phone almost every day. So we still had that relationship. Uh, and she did really well for a while, and then she, until she didn't. Right. Yeah. Right. And it was very difficult for us to convince her that she needed help. Um, so through a series of uh, fire department having to be called to the home a few times because she'd fallen or something like that, and they finally said, she needs a higher level of care. She can't stay here. And, and so that was the care home that she was in no for, for, that I'm was sorry. from her home oh who who was living with her at that time nobody oh so she was having to call the fire department i see yes. okay okay yes so that then they said okay this is getting to be yes too many visits i see okay yes so or we had to do some looking to find a good place for her we found an assisted living place it was like she had an apartment mm-hmm. and they helped with laundry and uh you know, meals and all of that stuff. Um, and that worked pretty well for a while. How old would you have been when she moved into the assist living? Oh, I, by that time, I was around 20. You know, this, this was, this had gone on and I was in my mid-20s, I'd say. Mid-20s. Okay, so yeah. it's still very young to have a mom that's going into assisted living. Yeah. And how was that conversation? Did she need 
uh, much arm twisting or did she realize that she needed help or what was her insight into her living situation? It was hard to convince her. Um, my sister and I, and unfortunately my younger sister by this time had passed away. So, uh, you know, I guess I, I was older. It wasn't, it was older than 25. Um, she had passed away. So it was myself and my middle sister, Heidi, um, and, um, her, my mom's close friend who was our godmother. She was very helpful. Um, but it took a lot of convincing because her strength of will. Right. For her become well, a doctor. Right. right. She had to go through the hazing at UCLA. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but, um, you know, and she comes from Scottish lineage. So, of course, that's still in her spirit, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it, it took some doing. We finally convinced her, finally found a place that she would accept. And um, she stayed there for a few years. Um, it went pretty well until her health was failing more and she needed more care than that. Now, were you the medical power of attorney or did she not need one or have one? It was around at this point that she did a medical and general power of attorney. Okay, okay. Um, and she named both myself and my sister okay. um, to be her power of attorney. And my sister was an LDN and a psych tech. Yeah. Okay. So she had some of that medical insights and right. jargon, et cetera, that was helpful. Um, so at some point, then she needed more care. Um, we had to put her in a skilled nursing facility. Uh, she had a hospitalization in between, a couple of hospitalizations while at the assisted living. So she had to go into a skilled nursing, and she had a couple hospitalizations from there. Also, she had some... Uh, Gas, uh, got some issues with uh, her gut. Um, can't think of the name right now, sorry. Um, and then she had a problem with her leg, you know, things like that. Um, so we ended up having to, from the hospital, she was transferred to an extended care hospital. Like a long-term acute care, LTAC is That's what they're exactly called. Yeah, word, thank you. Yeah, <laughs> with the term. Uh, and then did the skilled nursing. And um, so, you know, that was difficult taking care of her there. Um, but, you know, we were still nearby. We visited her frequently, um, brought things to her, took care of her. Do you mind if I ask what the dynamic was with your dad? I think there's a lot of people of divorced or separated parents that aren't sure how things will work when one of the divorced parents needs extra care. Was he, and, and this is off limits, I respect that, but was he interested, involved, supportive uh, in the care of his, I guess, then now ex-wife? It was really up to us. Okay. Yeah. He, so he wasn't a, a factor in this? Not really. No, he is. Yeah, my father was a very distant personality. Um, and being and they were divorced and it wasn't the prettiest, um, you know, it Bites over money, the usual stuff. Right. And I remember having to testify at their divorce hearing. Oh, my God. Testifying. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> As if it had enough had not gone on. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so now we're fast forwarding your, um, I guess, into your late 20s, early 30s. When did you end up starting a family? Uh, I was, I got married young at 20 years old. Uh, but I didn't have kids until I was about 24. 
Okay, so you already had a little one. Yeah. During most of this. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, I have two kids, a son and a daughter. And so, yeah, taking care of them and ready to be a wife and working full time and all of those things. So, you know, the usual that you have to deal with. Um, of course, it's a challenge. Um, so then, let's see, where were we? She was, she was in a skilled nursing facility after the LTAC. Yes, yes. And um, so, you know, trial and error, we found a really good one. And she was there for a while. Um, and then at some point, my sister had to move to Utah. And a few years later, I ended up having to move to Texas. Um, and mom had another hospitalization, I remember. and was put in another skilled nursing but uh, for some reason we weren't given a say so about which one so that was not good and it was a medic well in california it's called medical but it was medicaid facility and um they started getting really bad the care was very poor there uh, she was calling my poor sister up to 10 times a day because they weren't doing simple things like bringing her medication, you know, basic hygiene, you know, changing her, that kind of thing. And it was bad. And so we're talking, you know, what do we do, you know, um, and we can't, you know, be there. Um, you know, we need to get her to one of us. But how do we do that? She can't fly. It's, um, you know, we decided Texas would be the better place for her because we have better medical care here. Uh, my sister lives in a, a smaller town in Utah. Yeah, uh, driving would be, it's 23 hours if you do it straight, you know, you'd have to stop and all that. And, and my mother, she was bariatric also, so, you know, we weren't able to physically care for her. We needed help. Uh, so my godmother uh, miraculously found a company that has a medically equipped camper. Wow. Yes. I've never heard of this. Go on. Yeah, they had it either. <laughs> but it turned out to be amazing. They were so wonderful. Um, so I made the arrangements. We researched a few companies, of course, and found the one that looked the best. And they sounded very compassionate. Um, and I liked, you know, I liked their approach. I liked their compassion. So we made arrangements for them to pick her up and me to fly there and meet with them. And I remember... And when the, the, I guess it's an RV, um, pulled into the parking lot of the facility she was in and, um, they were getting ready to bring her out there and, uh, you know, the place was so dismal, you know, and you could feel it when you were in the place, you know, the energy spared. Yeah. And, yeah. And the staff were like, they were almost cheering that she was escaping. <laughs> oh place. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Of course, they were curious about the RV and all that, you know, but they were just, they were like glad she was escaping. And her funding was mainly Medicaid for all the long-term care placement she had? Or how did, is it, I know she, and I know this could be a taboo topic, but I always, there's a, that people wonder about that, right? Because even if you have savings, once you go into a long-term care setting, if you're paying private pay, depending on your savings, it doesn't last decades usually because because it's so expensive. So it's very expensive. How did y'all handle that part of it? Well, uh, laws are different in California. She qualified for Medi-Cal, Medi even though she owned a home. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, when she left it, we had to clean it up, which was no small task, and get it ready to sell. Um, 
because it had fallen into disrepair, obviously. Um, and, and so my sister idea again was tremendous in doing that. You know, she had more time than I did because I was working so much at the time. And um, we finally got her ready to sell. And um, it was about the time that we had to get mom out of there. So fortunately, we had the proceeds from the sale of the house to support her once we got her here in Texas. Um, and we found a wonderful place um, that took really good care of her and was only a couple miles from my home. So, and that was skilled nursing, right? Or, or I'm sorry, nursing, nursing facility. Yeah, okay. skilled nursing. Yeah. Because she had gone beyond like an assisted living level of care by then. Yes. Okay. Yes. Her health was failing in many ways. She had diabetes. She had her heart issues, um, et cetera, et cetera. So she, yeah, she needed full-time care. Um, needed help with toileting, et cetera. Yeah. I'll go into all the gory details. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but, well, I mean, so we found a place here that was wonderful. She was doing really well. Um, and then COVID hit. And it turned out that place had to be converted to a COVID-only facility. So we had to find another place for her. Um, and we did. We found a place over near the medical center in town. Right. Um, and uh, it, it wasn't as great as the place we had, um, but they still did a decent job taking care of her. Um, and then uh, during one of her hospitalizations, they found that she had a mass on her adrenal glands um, that they believed to be cancerous. And she had a fistula that was going to cause septus at some point. Um, but she uh, she was not a candidate for surgery. Um, she'd also fallen and broken her arm before that. Um, it, because of her heart issues, she's not a candidate for surgery. So they said, we need to call in the hospice. So, wow. Lots of conversations between my sister and I. And, um, you know, we kind of started grieving at that point. Um, and the way the doctors were talking, it was sounded like she wouldn't have much time left. Uh, but she ended up having another year beyond that. So that was kind of miraculous. And that was under hospice care? That was under hospice. Which is different level. Can you talk a little bit about the difference when somebody enters like the hospice program? What did you notice as different, either about her care or just things in general? What changed? Well, hospice was wonderful. They really were. It was Trinity Hospice. Um, just want to give them a plug. They were amazing. And they provide nursing care. Um, they coordinate for her medications, um, all of those things. Um, because she was in a skilled nursing, they provided the care to her there. She didn't have to go to another facility, you know, which was traumatic right. every time we had to move her. You know? Right, right. Um, and um, they, you know, provided counseling for us if we needed. Um, and they said, you know, the counseling will continue for, uh, you know, a year and beyond, you know, when she passes, et cetera. Um, so it, it was it was good. It was really good. And um the facility seemed to take better care of her, too, knowing that she was in hospice, if that makes sense. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. there's probably some psychological component. Yeah. That. Yeah, I think there was. How, how would you describe her quality of life preceding that that year of hospice? I, I know you said she had to move and had a couple of things, but day to day, what was her quality of life before she got extra sick right, right towards the end? Um, 
she did have several medical issues. Uh, she had frequent UTIs, um, and it seemed like when the UTIs would hit, uh, she would often go through a brief period where she'd have hallucination. Right, a lot of confusion. Yeah. yeah. Yes, uh, at one point she was, you know, insisting she needed to get out of bed, which, you know, unfortunately she'd been bedridden for a while then. Um, and like fighting with the staff, being combative, things like that. Um, and telling all kinds of fantastic stories about a plane trip she'd taken with so-and-so from the Trinity Broadcasting Network and, and oh, okay. just, you know, <laughs> and things right. like that. Um, but fortunately those were brief episodes and she'd returned to normalcy. Um, she also had a wound in her leg that was a big deal. She, it turned out, basically, she'd caught in MRSA while at the facility in California and had a tunneling wound in her leg. Oh, no. Those, are, those can be really hard to treat. They, yeah, it was. So she had surgery for that, and the two hooked up to a wound vac for quite some time, and it kept kind of reappearing every so often. Um so we had to deal with that several times, um, monitoring the wound, um, reinstalling the wound back, things like that. Um, she had her diabetes, of course, um, her heart issues. Um, so, you know, physically, her quality of life was poor, but mentally she was still sharp. So did she enjoy reading or learning new things, still kept in touch with you or the grandkids or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. She kept in touch with all of us. You know, we talked on the phone frequently and we'd visit her once or twice a week in the nursing home, of course, uh, every Sunday faithfully. And then we could in days in between, depending on work schedule, et cetera. Um, and my husband was really great about coming even when I couldn't, you know? Yeah. He was, yeah. Yeah. He was an angel. He says, she's my mom too. <laughs> so <laughs> how, what, what thoughts um, drove you I know this might sound silly because it's probably seems so automatic, but the you had a lot to balance at those points in your life. And what thoughts appeared to you or came to your brain that helped you reconcile her needs or supporting her, being there with her, with your own needs and your own family? Like what what was kind of your guiding light or your north star that that you thought? Really, that's a deep question i know that's what i, think I should have warned you that's what <laughs> <laughs> so um you know i love my mom dearly um but you know that strong will of hers did result into in some conflict at times uh, right myself and my sister seemed to get the worst of it sometimes because she was more outspoken mm-hmm. i'm more of a people pleaser my sister doesn't take nothing from nobody. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, we, we, we had our times now where we really didn't want to spend time with her. But, of course, that's as it is with any family, right? Um, and, uh, yeah. We got over it and everything was fine. And, and we maintained a close, close relationship with her. Um, she, um, you know, had an iPad she communicated with. She did a lot of breeding. Um and, you know, then she started to decline and couldn't do those things so much. Her hearing declined. She had cataracts. She could, they could not breed on her for those. So her ability to read, um, you know, we tried getting her all kinds of glasses. It didn't help. We tried getting her hearing aid and she said it didn't work and wouldn't wear it, you know. So 
telephone conversations became more difficult. Um, the staff was able to do like iPad chat sometimes, yeah. you know, and, um, so that was helpful. But the only true communication was in person. I see. Yeah. So when you mentioned that you often have conflict or in the difficult times, what did you tell yourself to get yourself to do things you didn't necessarily want to do or look forward to? What what was the driving thought for that? Hmm. Well, I loved my mom and I, I knew it was the right thing to take care of her. And we were all she had, really. You know, my sister was there, did as much as she could long distance, but she was still in another state. You know, she visited when she could. So it was up to us. And again, I thank God for my wonderful husband. He was a very supportive, a true rock. And, you know, I have my own health issues. I've got multiple back issues, hereditary, I'm sure. <laughs> and fibromyalgia, which is a pain amplifier. So, um, you know, there are honest day, honestly days when it's a struggle to get out of bed. And sometimes um, it's more than I can do. And then I had anemia also, which was so severe. I ended up having to get six iron infusions. Um, at an oncology center, um, but they were tremendously helpful, and I'm glad there was a solution for it. Right, you know? right. But yeah, dealing with my own health issues and working as much as I could. Of course, I couldn't work full time. I was disabled, but you know, the hours I worked as as a tutor were perfect for me. Um, and you know, it gave me a purpose. You know, I love being able to help kids. I love kids. Period. And, you know, being able to help them have the brightest future possible is just, you know, inspiring for me. And, um, you know, I, and I would just always remember all that my mom had done for us. So that was part of the fire there. I mean, the kind of the, the energy that you drew upon was what, what she had done for you and being part of reciprocating that at some point. And I admired that she, you know, even though she had a lot to be depressed about, you know, all that had happened to her, she still did her best to maintain an optimism. Um, you know, she had her ministry that she did helping others um, without charge. And, you know, she made things work, you know. Uh, did, so. did you see it modeled like for your, for your, uh, for your grandparents? Did you see your parents take care of their parents or did you know, like, did you have any examples of that growing up, what that looked like? Um, well, my, my mother's parents, uh, my grand, maternal grandmother, she got breast cancer and um, she was recovering from that, was at the five-year mark and then it metastasized to her bone. Um, they were living in... Oh, they were in California then, yeah. But um, at some point, I guess she ended up going back to Maine to get treatment. They were from Maine. My mom grew up on a potato farm in Maine. <laughs> and um, so she died there. We didn't get the chance to say goodbye to her, but she was taking care of um, my grampy, who was my sister and I, who took care of him. You know, he did, he was, he did pretty well. And, um, but we were the ones who kept in touch and visited him and all of that. Um, but he was strong and healthy. He would still walk, you know, four miles a day, uh, right up until the end, until he uh, hurt his knee or something and couldn't walk anymore. So, you know, he didn't have an extended illness or anything like that. He just, there was a period of like a year where he started to decline. And I think he didn't want to be anybody's burden. So he kind of, you know, just gave up then. 
So it sounds like you have a, a lot of history with your mom. What about your dad? Uh, so uh, my, back to the grandparents, my dad's parent, um, we had to take care of at some point also. And again, my sister had more time in her schedule and more training and um, my dad paid her to go and take care of them as well. So she was there. So she was their primary caregiver. Yeah, she really was. Okay. Yeah. Um, And uh, so we took care of them until um, they declined so much, you know, and they they had um, nurses that came to the home and and things like that, too. And I remember they would get my grandfather up out of bed and basically strap him to a chair in the living room. He couldn't sit up by himself. And, um, you know, she was losing her faculties and... and, um, but she would still, you know, try and take care of him in her way. Um, we'd find odd things in odd places, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, but they, it was, she had always said she wanted to go before him. They were married 64 years. And the day that they couldn't get him up to go into the living room, it's like she knew. And she passed away that night in her sleep. Wow. And then he passed away the next day. Are within, you kidding me? No. Within 24 hours of each other. Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What an interesting story. And, then, and then what about your dad? Uh, so my dad and his illness. Or, or, I mean, did you have any caregiving needs related to your dad? Um, fortunately, no, not really. He, um, you know, he had those good genes of his parents because they were both in their 90s um she was 94 and he was 96 i think um so he was in good health most of his life except for his needs he played tennis so um you know his knees started to give out and he had a lot of trouble with them but he got around with a walker and um you know we still kept a relationship with him visit him every time we uh, came to california of course and um, he wasn't able to come visit us, but, you know, we still kept a relationship. Um, you know, he had another wife by this time um, from Russia. Oh. She was literally a Russian mail order bride. That, okay, that's, that's podcast number three. And not much older than I. Um, so that's how that works, it seems. Yes, <laughs> yes but... Um, you know, they fought like cats and dogs originally, but after 14 years, they, you know, developed a normal-ish relationship. Um, she had some health problems. She had to get a kidney transplant, and he helped take care of her through that. And um, he was still great. He got he got prostate cancer, um, and they didn't uh, do surgery they ended up giving him a hormonal treatment that was really effective it got his levels to like less than one mm-hmm. um, so he had just gotten a good report from the oncologist oh he had a pacemaker put in also mm-hmm. um, he was doing well from that and he had the skin melanoma removed right he was in good shape and they had just come from a visit at the oncologist and went out to celebrate with some enchiladas he got salmonella from the enchiladas and had to be hospitalized. He, like, passed out on the floor. Uh, my 
uh, stepmother called me, you know, told me what was going on. They had to be hospitalized. You know, we rushed over there. Um, and they had to, his kidneys were failing. All his organs started shutting down. What what year was this? This was just a couple of years ago. Oh, my God. Yes. This would have been probably during the COVID time. Yes. It was yeah. just when COVID was just well, just coming out of right. COVID. Right. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so in visiting was difficult in California because of their protocols. So uh, we were limited with that. But, you know, we were able to do FaceTime and, and my daughter who lived nearby was able to, you know, visit under their protocols and on a limited basis. Um, he, so he, he, they put him in the ICU. He was starting to recover. He was starting to get some kidney function back because he had to be on dialysis. Um, his pancreas had shut down, so he became suddenly diabetic, had to have insulin. Um, and he was coming, he was recovering though. You know, he had strong health. It was um, in the family, I guess. And um, Pete always taking care of himself pretty well, you know. Um, so then he was transferred to, uh, what is it, acute care? What's the term again? Acute rehab? Yes. Or the long-term long hospital? Long-term hospital. Yeah. Okay, yeah. The, that's LTAX or long-term acute care. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, and he was progressing well there. And they were at the point where, you know, he, they could maybe send him home, but he couldn't walk yet he was still too weak to walk and um she said well you know he needs to have some physical therapy you know um because you know i don't think i can help him with bathroom right and stuff like that so they transferred him then to a skilled nursing facility and it was there that he caught covid sometime in the transfer process because it showed up right away um so, of course, I, we wanted to visit him then, and we couldn't. Um, he was recovering from the COVID, and then he caught pneumonia. Oh, my goodness. Yes. And it was literally within days. Uh, and I remember I was talked to him on the phone, and I said, you know, Dad, you know, can we come visit you? Um, and he says, no. He told me, absolutely not. He said, you need to take care of your health. There's too many germs here, you know, I'm fine. Uh, and, and my daughter had come to see him and we were FaceTiming, you know, mm -hmm. on her phone. And so I said, okay. And then it was on a Sunday. And then that Friday, I got a call from his wife saying, uh, the doctors say he's not doing well. Uh, and I said, should I come? And she says, yes. So the bag, booked the flight, Sold. took off the next day, Saturday. My, you know, it's a long flight. Um, I got in around 10 p.m. by the time I got home from the airport and all that. And I was just like so exhausted. Um, you know, should I go or can I wait till tomorrow? And I was debating that. And I got a call from his wife who was a conference call with the doctor. And I asked the doctor, you know, and, you know, his wife was really panicked throughout this. Right. She didn't know how to handle things, you know, so she was, you know, calling a lot and we were, you know, making decisions together, that kind of thing. Um, and the doctor said, and I asked the doctor, I said, you know, I just, you know, I just got here from San Antonio, uh, you know, been exhausted. Um, is it important that I come tonight? And she said, yes, you should come tonight. 
So um, thankfully, um, his wife said, you know, I can pick you up. Um, so she picked me up. We went there and I was able to, we were able to spend several hours with him. He was on a, a full um, ox, full face oxygen mask. Um, so conversation was difficult, but he still heard and understood. Um, you know, he would nod and, and shake his head and even shrug, you know. But, you know, we asked him, do you need anything? Um, you know, how are you doing? And, you know, he said, I'm okay. You know, but a couple of days before that, he kind of said, you know, is it time for me to go? Should I let mm. go? You know, and, you know, we all said, no, no, you know, we need you, you know, and his wife especially, you know, I need you. Uh, and so, you know, he thought he should keep fighting. But at this point, he was very tired. And the doctor said he was shutting down. So, you know, he said the things that you say to my father when, you know, he doesn't have much time. You know, told him, I know he did the best he could to be a dad. And, you know, I loved him and all of those things. And um, finally about three in the morning, I went home because I just couldn't sit up anymore. And then, um, you know, on so my daughter picked me up. No, I ended up taking an Uber because his wife wanted to stay. Uh, but I, I just, I was done. I, my body couldn't function anymore. Um, and so I, when my daughter was getting ready to take me um, the next morning and somewhere on the way, he had passed. So we got there and he was gone. And nobody had reached up to us yet. I guess there just wasn't time. So I kind of said goodbye again to his lifeless body. And, um, yeah, and we watched them take him away. And, um, you know, we arranged a funeral, all of those things. Yeah. we had just done my mom's funeral a year before. It was just about a week shy of a year. Um, and, um, so it, it was tough. <laughs> I can't, I can't imagine that. So he went from being basically healthy and recovered from prostate cancer to how many weeks later did he pass away? Um, it was within, it was about a little over two months. Two months. Okay. So not, not even 90 days. Yeah. Um, and he, he got unexpectedly very ill. Yeah. He, he so. was recovering until COVID. Right. Yeah. Right, right, right. And, and that's what ultimately. Right. And then sadly. Well, I admire your strength, and I can hear your strength uh, from your mom. And uh, I, I, I know we've known each other for the for a while, but I don't obviously know that much about your history. And I just really appreciate you sharing it. It's an incredible story. It lends to just you being a very giving person, and how you use your time to uh, inspire others and to look out for other people. And so it's as if they get to live on and what they've imparted to you as a child and how you've integrated that into your life right now and how you treat other people, which is always with kindness. And, um, and I've always seen that and I appreciate that. And, and, uh, it's interesting to know now where some of that probably came from, which is the, the, the scars that you have from, um, having such a challenging childhood and then following that up with trying to be there for everybody, which I know um, is, is extremely challenging to balance. Yes. So 
Yes, um, and thank you for saying such kind things. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, and and it's not lost on me that that there are other health consequences to people that end up, you know, being a caregiver since they're a young young person, and there's physical consequences. There's just other kind of rapid maturity that you know you didn't really get to grow up with a, a normal, uh, you know, cognitive or emotional. Uh, maturation process which can be difficult too so um, thank you for what you're doing in the world and then also thank you for sharing such an intimate and private story my hope is that people hear and listen and think through scenarios that maybe they're worried about but they haven't actually come upon and and you sharing your story I think does help other people um, as they they move into that just before we we wrap up here do you have any parting kind of lessons learned or advice I advice for anybody well, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Right. <laughs> and just take it one day, one hour, one minute at a time when things are tough. Um, and make sure to make time to take care of yourself. When you're on an airplane, what do they tell you about the oxygen mask? You got to put it on yourself first before you can help others. Um, and that's difficult for me um, because my instinct is to help others first, but uh, you had to learn that one the hard way. Um, and just, you know, finding balance in that. Yeah. And being able to care for yourself and being able to care for others also without going crazy. <laughs> well, I think we stacked up uh, an extra two podcasts here. I think there was one about a Russian bride and then... Uh, what was the second one? Oh, the the live-in or the the nanny help. <laughs> so I I appreciate that and thank you so much for coming on the episode today. I appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Hey everyone, it's Rebecca. Thank you so much for joining us today. I hope you really enjoyed the podcast. I am here to let you know I can be found on rebeccatapiamd.com. You can come over there to learn about my new course launching this summer dealing with mindset for aging parents, getting prepared, all the good stuff, sharing my opinions and life lessons. Uh, also could just join my email list so I can share more about my thoughts about these podcasts and more insights there. Thank you so much for being here.